Hey everybody, this is Ben Kesnoka, co-founder and partner at Village Global, a network-driven venture firm. And this is our podcast, where we go deep on all things business and technology with world-leading experts. Hello, everybody. I'm Olga Sugievich, the Head of Investor Relations at Village Global. Pleased to introduce our guest today, Lee Nitinka. Lee is a founder and CEO of two of our portfolio companies, Future and Darkstore. Both companies are building innovative solutions for offline and online retail. And Lee and his companies have worked with the world's most admired brands like Nike, Adidas, and Disney, where they enable same-day and one-hour delivery for customers nationwide. And they also collaborated with companies like Snapchat, Shopify, and Stripe to enable next-generation payments and loyalty program solutions. In today's conversation, we'll discuss the state of e-commerce, loyalty programs, fast delivery, and consumer trends. Lee, welcome to Village Global Stories. Thank you for having me. Let's start with the broader trends in retail. Decline of the mall, shutdown of physical stores in many locations, particularly well-publicized, have been some of the San Francisco retail departures. While the city certainly has a lot of the local issues, how do you think about these events through the prism of macro trends in retail and e-commerce? I think that if you zoom out more than retail, what cities look like in a decade or even a century are, are going to be completely different than what they look like today. And so retail is a main artery of a city. And if you think about every piece of it, you have grocery, you have optical, you have pharmaceutical, um, you have, you know, you know, you used to, and you still do bookstores and, and electronic stores and, and, and cities will transform the type of, of, of commerce that, um, enables the the uh, you know civilization and 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 uh, for merchants and consumers to interact with, and the reason that you know uh, physical retail started a long long time ago is when um, there were ateliers that you know made clothing for men and women, and now there's you know fast fashion and ready to wear, and so like when you think about that trajectory um you think about well those those things no longer need to exist so what will occupy um cities and so as you see this transformation and we're in the bay area you you're I'm in Palo Alto you're in San Francisco you're definitely more in the eye of the storm uh you know so to say the the retail that will be there that will become in my opinion is um where a store is an experience and where you can't um, get that same product or that same relationship um, online. Uh, one one company that does this, you know, incredibly well. And I wouldn't even they don't even think of themselves as a company, but Brunello Cuccinelli. Um, you walk into the store, they make you a cocktail. Um, you know, they really sit you down. They start to understand your mentality. What are you optimizing for? And there is a level of 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 premium experience that you 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 have there and that is why you're going to go into that store you can easily buy the same you know clothing online a sweater from them or, um and so when we think about about it from that lens um i know that sephora is rolling out stores where 
they want to become your personal, you know, beauty consultant. And so that's where you start to see this experience. It's not experiential. It's an experience and something that um, you can't, you can't have online. And so that's where I think you'll start to see retail go. And the ones that do it really well will be the ones that um, continue to exist. And your current company, Future, is working on better solutions for merchants in the payments and customer engagement space. Tell us more about the history of rewards programs um, and why is there an opportunity to disrupt now? Wow, that's a very official way of describing uh, the sector that we are focusing on. Well, a long, long time ago, about 100 years ago, the way that loyalty existed was actually in stamps. You would go into a store, you would get a stamp, and the more stamps you had, they they knew you were this customer that was loyal to them. And over time, that's transformed into points and tiers and tiers that you pay. So now, um, uh, for a long time, American Express has had an incredible um, quote unquote loyalty program. But you know, for an American Express card. You have the green one, which is um, free, the gold one, which is like X amount, the platinum one, which is Y amount, and then the Centurion one. And that one you need to even be invited into. But um, you pay, and, and, and American Express is, is um, it's more now. I think it's like $6.95 for the platinum before you get a single point reward or benefit. But what you're paying for is status, and status is actually access. And if you completely look at it from another end of the spectrum, Amazon Prime is a loyalty program, okay? And you pay for it, okay? And what you're paying for is access to fast shipping. And um, so um, where I think that you will see uh, quote-unquote loyalty, and I don't, I don't love that word, um, is go from freemium into paid. And today's consumer is willing to pay for access. They're willing to pay for a better experience. Uh, you know, if 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 you travel, you know, publicly, you have Clear and TSA PreCheck. People want to spend their time more wisely, and so I think that every single um, loyalty program out there that is earned and free, um, you will start to see a tiered paid version that um, has only um, specific benefits that you can access with it. And that's what we're doing with Future. And presumably for brands, it's not as simple as saying, hey, customers, start paying me now for access to you know, what I do. So as a brand, what do you need to know about your customer to know that you are ready to launch one of these programs? How do you think about pricing it? And you know, presumably when, when you choose which, which partners you work with, like those are some of the considerations because you want to make sure that you're enabling um, that type of capability for someone who has the right audience and sort of correctly structured program? Um, well, this isn't for everyone. And that's obviously a derivative of loyalty, which is, you know, loyalty and memberships and, and access and status is not for everyone. Um, it seg segregates folks into different cohorts. And so if you are of a brand where you do have a customer base um, that desires your product, Okay. And LVMH does this incredibly well across their 75 maisons. Um, they don't focus on profits. They focus on creating desire. And so if you have something that you know your customers desire, well, then um, either you treat them all equally or um, there are ones that are 
and it, this is this is you know pretty standard um, e-commerce um, cohorting, which is you have this cohort, which is your most um, your highest LTV cohort. And that is where I think if you actually look at the data and look deeply, you will very quickly be able to establish how big it is, how many, how, how, how much it equates in terms of your um, overall um, top line and revenue and profit. And I think that that's where merchants will start to see monetization um, in the ability to do that. And um, so, yeah, it's, 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 it's a science and an art, but I think that there are companies that have very loyal customers and you'll see more paid um, tiers within them. And so it's interesting that you linked some of these programs to the notion of status versus others to the notion of convenience. Are there other sort of categories that you think about when you think about these types of programs? And um, is there anything sort of interesting in how maybe different countries or different age cohorts think about, um, you know, what constitutes status, some of the trends that maybe we see with different brands being able to launch these programs in one cohort, which could be surprising for another cohort? Well, when I say status, I'm just actually encompassing um, what a uh, cohort may um, mean to a, a brand and your your highest, um, most valuable tier, um, what you're ultimately giving them is convenience. So um, one of the best benefits of the Centurion card is a airport butler. When you're traveling and you get the airport, they pick you up in the golf cart and you roll through it. And that's convenience. And so when I say status, what I mean is how do we make your lives more delightful? How do we make your life easier and easier ultimately equates to con- more conveniently. And so that's what I mean. Got it. Makes sense. Okay. And presumably it's a little bit different from, you know, access to Amazon, right? Yeah. Where, where you just have delivery, but it's, you know, it's fairly widely adopted as a different price points, different perk. I think if you look at something like Amazon Prime, everyone has the same status and everyone pays the same amount. I think that you will start to see, you know, them tiered out into an Amazon Prime Gold and Platinum and um, uh, Hyperion is, 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 is actually taller than Centurion. Those are trees. Um, but I think that um, when we talk about convenience, that ultimately is what you are, are getting at the end of the day if you really distill it down to its essence. And um, you mentioned, um, how, do, how do I view this globally? Um, I recently went to... Um, to Israel and India and France and um, being able to travel in the way that I did so um, seamlessly, um, it was all public, you know, air travel um, was because of the status I had. It made my life more convenient. I needed to sleep in an airline lounge, like all these things. And so I think that, you know, that is something as you um, travel more and earn more and pay more, um, you're really paying for convenience. Makes sense. And one of the key developments that enabled the growth of e-commerce was fast delivery. You were the person who made the one-hour button on Nike.com happen. 
And your earlier company, Dark Store, and its consumer-facing brand, Fast AF, were based on fast delivery. Uh, tell us a little bit about building in the fast delivery space. What are some of your insights and um, advice to founders for whom it might be relevant? Well, I've spent the last decade of my life um, focused on uh, instant delivery. And we first started from delivering from stores. And um, so using stores as the um, quote unquote warehouse or fulfillment center. And what we found is the inventory management of stores is non-existent or there's not much visibility into it. And so, you know, if you ever order on Instacart and you ask for, you know, you know, mozzarella cheese and they give you ricottas because um, <laughs> they, they, they don't have insight into how many are left and, and it's run on a totally separate system than any commerce system is run on. And so um, the challenges there um, one are uh, you also have to go to many different places um, when you're picking up from stores. And so you don't get the economies of scale when you can fulfill 10 different brands from a single location. Uh, so um, the successor um, to delivering from stores was delivering from what is a phenomenon that was pioneered in the UK um, with a grocer called Sainsbury. Is it called a dark store? And a dark store is exactly as it sounds. It's not ominous at all. It is a literal store that is not not open to not open to the public. It's called the dark store, and they're normally in low rent real estate areas. And JD.com is actually the one who really you know scaled the modality that we took with dark store in the U.S., which is. Let's take the little corner store um, uh, and turn it into a quote unquote dark store, meaning like we're not building the MFC, the micro fulfillment center. We are taking um, existing um, uh, stores that have excess capacity in them and connecting them on a network and, and seeing, oh, this node has X capacity. We have a, um, um, a brand that wants to you know, put this much inventory um, in uh, that city. Okay, let's put it in, in that node. Um, and so there are um, many uh, ways in which we tried to scale this um, quickly. One being um, very early on, we were in deep discussions with Office Depot. So fascinating stat out of their, I think they had back then, it was like 1300 locations. They have one within five miles of 90% of the population. Okay. So um, many nodes, a dying business model. So not many folks are walking into office supply stores anymore. You, um, they just get it on Amazon. And so um, they even had stores that were just completely dark, no inventory in them. Some that were operating, but like, you know, half empty and, and the, um, uh, the store associates not having much to do during the day. Um, another um, merchant that we had early discussions with was uh, Mattress Firm. So fascinating stat, three people walk into a mattress store on average a day. So like the person, the mattress salesman is clearly had a lot of downtime. Um, the one we ended up going with, um, which is just by pure coincidence, and I think such a beautiful story, is a company called Iron Mountain. Iron Mountain is a document storage company. And um, they have 
um, both a dying but thriving business. So there's a um, just genius um, head of innovation there um, who early on saw like, hey, our business is storing paper and paper is going into the cloud. And so if we're, our business is storing paper and our other business is shredding paper, well, we're going to eventually shred all the paper that's in our vaults, these buildings. And so then we're just going to have space. And then they have this um, uh, last mile um, trucking system because they go pick up all the documents. And so they actually have an incredible last mile um, delivery supply chain um, as their business. And so, um, you know, we, we had a conversation and, you know, where they were, you know, initially storing documents, we started to put Nike sneakers, we started to put mattresses in a box, and we eventually put um, phones. And so um, if you ever lose or break your phone and you're on Verizon today, um, in 40 cities, you can get one in an hour and it comes out of the buildings that we stood up. And so then... It seems that the company that owns the stores essentially ends up being a commercial real estate land or you know property owner, and then they will just lease it to somebody like Dark Store, who will then enable some of the partnerships and monetization of that space. Or is there is there something additional to it? It's so we have two parts to our business. One part is purely. Um, uh, leveraging existing capacity and putting our technology um, over that existing capacity. Uh, so wherever you want to put inventory, we have a node and that node is not our node and operated by us. It's operated by um, someone in our network who uses our technology to do the fulfillment. And then our APIs connect to every last mile provider. So if you want to do one hour or um, we're actually working on faster than that's something I can't talk about. Um, but um, we also have our own nodes. And so, um, you know, having worked with um, Nike, um, I actually learned um, a lot of the challenges that these organizations have that are traditionally, you know, back then they were doing 30 billion. Um, and so, but X percent of that is wholesale. So selling through Foot Locker and Finish Line. And so, when Mark was CEO of the company, he wanted to divert a large portion of the revenue um, to direct, so Nike.com, and take it out of um, wholesale. And moving an organization like that, who's been operating for many, many decades in a way that was normally through channel and now direct, you're 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 building new muscles. And um, so um, you know, we're we were a tiny startup when we met them. Um, punching way above our weight. And uh, they took a bet on us. Um, but I took a step back and I said, wow, if it takes us another year to get our next customer alive, we're going to be out of business um, before we do it. And so I inspired the board to launch a consumer-facing app that would completely remove any of the um, impediments to getting live, which is integration, because, you know, integration with ERPs and e-commerce systems, they're not built for instant delivery. Um, and the reason is, is because with instant delivery, you need to merchandise on a zip code level. You need to merchandise on a, on a, on a, um, on a hyper geo basis. And um, uh, warehouse management systems um, need to be able to understand um, literal load balancing inventory from one node to another 
And so all of that, and we don't, we don't need to get into um, the inner workings of a micro fulfillment system, but um, we uh, basically were like, hey, if we remove all the impediments, um, we can get live. These, these merchants who want to get live um, with instant delivery faster. And so we we always had this like, it was a North Star for us. It was called Fast AF. And that was, you know, how we operated. And so we ended up naming the, the product Fast AF. And, um, you know, overnight we had 600 merchants that um, our focus, um, all, you know, there are many other instant delivery companies, but our focus is on um, high quality premium essentials. And so we have, um, the best shampoo, the best skin lotion, the best um, beauty products. Um, all of our customers are, are, are women who care a lot about um, the products that they use. And um, so our products are, um, you know, whether they're, um, you know, woman-owned or, um, um, or organic or gluten-free, whatever it be, um, that's really the 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 um, segment of customer demographic that we speak to, and so um, doing that allowed us to get live faster um, with many more brands um, uh, overnight. So that is kind of the the the, the arc of um, Dark Store and Fast AF, and kind of how you usurp um, all the inner inner um, bureaucracy of a large company who um, wants to launch fast delivery but can't get out of their own way. So I'm a huge fan of Fast AF, both the name and um, and the company. And I've discovered a lot of cool products through Fast, um, including all sorts of actually delicious kale chips, um, then no-bake cake, uh, and lots of other products. And it's, um, you know, I love giving gifts. Sometimes it's, it's challenging to pick a gift, but if you just need something casual and fast, um, there's lots of great ideas there. So that was one of the use cases that I found fast to be awesome for. So talk to us a little bit about that element of curation. So, you know, you mentioned some of the brands are women owned. There's a lot of vegan, organic, et cetera, products, but, um, you know, what's, what's key to successful curation? How do you enable that? Um, and then maybe just broadly, what are some of the consumer trends that you see playing out today? Well, when you walk into any retailer and i will put cvs as a retailer i will put um whole foods as a retailer i will put um burdorf goodman as a retailer um these are curated stores okay and the sector that we were focusing on is the products that you would find in a convenience store but not the products that exist in the convenience store in your neighborhood. Um, so the shampoos, the toothpaste, the lotions, the um, you know many things that um, that you may find. Um, but from brands that were started online, these digitally native brands that leveraged nationwide shipping, and in order to really crack replacing the incumbent, needed to uh, crack. Um, getting the or the ability to offer the, pro, the their product at the same speed that their competitor or the incumbent offers it at, and that is our sweet spot. So um, curation, um, we spent a lot of time early on thinking about core values, and what are the core values of our customers? 
of our brands. And um, oh my God, one of the funnest things that we do as part of our job is we get to test out products. So we get lots of samples. Um, and some of them are just like, woo, like what, what, what is this flavor? But you have to not just think about it for yourself, but think about it for um, you know, multiple constituents that um, shop. And so then you, you know, take it uh, a bet on, you know, the, you know, you, you, there's different um, um, grading that we, we have, but you take a bet on, you know, a core flavor and then, you know, secondary and tertiary flavors, but then the data speaks for itself. And so you look at like, you know, what are the turns of this, this, this flavor, this skew, and then you just in, 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 uh, in a dark store, um, because you know, FastF is the consumer-facing part of it, but it leverages dark stores, technology, and micro fulfillment centers. Um, this is like a this is like a Porsche frunk, okay? Like Amazon is like a pickup truck with a lot of like a box truck, and FastF is like a Porsche frunk. We only have a limited amount of space in this dark store, so we need to be really discerning and and picky about it. And so if that skew isn't moving at the the the, the speed that we um, have as our benchmark, we're not keeping it and we're replacing it with another skew. And so over time, the curation starts to curate itself. And you know we've got um, some uh, uh, AI that we use to really kind of see a few things. One is like, what do we think that the consumer wants, but doesn't know yet that they want? So that was what you're talking about, where we introduced a lot of new brands, ones that you've never heard of before to customers. That is what we are known for. And the other thing we became known for is gifting. And so because of our, the premium nature of these products, uh, you know, they, they end up becoming great housewarming gifts and great, you know, baby shower or birthday gifts. And we, we even have the ability, we even write you uh, a, a note. Um, but something that we are, are known for is you open the app and you are delighted. And you're delighted with products that you didn't even know exist, brands you didn't even know exist. And I don't know, I feel like maybe we should like license that AI to like Netflix because like, like, <laughs> need to have like movies better recommended to me but yeah that that the curation is uh, a um that's a core competency that we yeah, the curation and fast af certainly worked better than netflix um and we people rave about it so but then you know one thing that's that's interesting about your capabilities is that you have a lot of data to show what consumers actually like and what they come back to buy more of and i feel like you know in the last few years we are now hearing about lots of you know features which maybe 5 10 years ago were not a part of the discussion for example you hear a lot of thoughts that like younger generations really care about sustainable packaging or everything being organic or you know free of animal cruelty and testing and things like that um what are some of the insights from data around some of these features like what actually does play a role you know where maybe there's not enough data and and also give us some of the surprising examples of like products that you never expected to do well but they were just wonderful or like something that sort of didn't work out for whatever reason so the nature of instant delivery 
is you need enough of a population in a geo that can buy the products to make that dark store profitable. So when we think about um, the business, you can't look at the unit economics across the U.S. You need to look at the unit economics on a literal building basis. And that building needs to be able to get profitable within on its own. Um, otherwise, you're just burning cash. And so if you get too esoteric and you go too down this road of like, we, we only have, you know, um, animal-free, you know, um, paraben-free, all, all of these things, then you, you shrink the, 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 the total, the, 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 the serviceable adjustable market. And so we don't go too far down the path. Um, although, you know, we do have these reusable bags of which, you know, I was walking actually down university, uh, yesterday or the day before. And like, I just saw a fast half bag. This makes me smile. Um, and it was crazy. Like they're now global. We've seen people in, in, in Tel Aviv and other places that love the fast half bag. It was an early marketing tactic. And so I think like we stay enough at a high level where we have an addressable market, um, especially in our core markets, that um, we you know we can get the the buildings profitable. And we actually have launched nationwide shipping. We've actually taken off uh, the fast delivery um, to get the business profitable. That was something like if you looked at there was this explosion and implosion of fast delivery. Um, either you went out of business or you got profitable. And the way that you get you can get profitable is you shrink the number of nodes you have, you shrink, you you shrink the 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 things that are burning cash and you grow the things that grow revenue. And so we opened up the app insurance. Now we have we serve the entire US. Um and you ask the thing that I feel like is um uh surprising at one point we were um selling ice cream and i just think that like the data on ice cream is like people will spend more money to get ice cream quickly um especially if it's of a specific flavor and so it's just a fascinating product that um you know who doesn't love ice cream indeed were there any sort of interesting flavors that were super popular uh, yeah, there was uh, chocolate truffle flavored ice cream that like is dangerous. And so I will send you a pint of it after and you, well, there's few things, anything truffle, you fly it off the shelf. So there's these um, truffle chips, um, truffle ice cream. And uh, yeah, like those two products um, like are dangerous. <laughs> Excellent. Well, now now we know a secret to a successful brand. Just add truffle to it. I feel like that's going to be the next thing in skincare. Um, but that totally makes sense. So maybe another question: as as you started and are currently running two companies, which are in sort of adjacent categories, but these are two different companies. So talk to us a little bit about you know some of the challenges and pros and cons of being a founder of two, running two at the same time, um, how do you just manage your time and attention? Um, and what are some of the trade-offs? Well, um, I actually run three and the third one is myself. And you really need to think of yourself as a company because you can start to get immersed real deep, real fast in your day-to-day. And so... Actually, the thing about running multiple companies is when you take a step back, 
you really start to be more thoughtful about your time, how much you're spending on something, and actually how much time you need to spend on something. And so the way that I'm able to do it is I've got a really, you know, really great teams around me. And if you've got really great teams and people you can trust, you can move fast, delegate decisions, and then surface up decisions that you want to be involved in making and ones that are irreversible. And so if these are reversible decisions, we make them really quickly, we can reverse the decision um, and I don't need to be a part of it. But if it's core and it's something that's irreversible, then I'm in the decision-making of it. And um, you know, we've got a great framework that we use. Um, I'm spending a day here or I'm spending a day um, uh, with you know this company. And so that's really how it all works. And actually the best part of it, and this is a bit more personal, personal side of me, is I'm big on meditation. And um, actually, one of the things that I, you know, truly, you know, believe is to think is to not think. If you really want to think about something, how many times have you actually gotten a breakthrough actually thinking about it? And so the way to think is to actually not think about the thing that you want to think about. That's when you go for a hike, your mind is actually removed from that thought. And you're like, whoa, I've got this revelation. And actually running two companies, it literally, the, the, the context switching is heavy, heavy load. Like it's a heavy load on, and so you have to minimize context switching as much as possible, but it actually like, I'll be like, you know, at, at working on this problem at this company. And then I'm like, Oh, that's a solution over there. And I've like really just kind of like become a better leader and CEO um, because of running both. And so um, I wouldn't recommend it. Like if you want to like dedicate your life to like a family and like not run, um, you know, at, um, a million miles an hour, then running multiple companies, is not the thing to do. But if you truly want to do your life's work. And, um, for me, a lot of what I do is, um, be the change that I want to see and put into, um, our humanity, the thing that I want to give back to our species that's what drives me. That's what my purpose is. And so I love what I do. I run both companies and then myself. And um, as part of running both of them, um, it's it's mainly about doing great work and putting ourselves out there um, as a gift um, to um, you know, humanity. So this is a perfect segue into the topic that I wanted to finish on. One of the things you are passionate about is personal development and transformational experiences. You mentioned meditation, and I know you recently spent some time in an ashram in India. So at risk of appearing spiritually ignorant, let me ask some of these very basic questions for those in the audience who are curious about these types of things, you know, how does one pick the right ashram when you go? Like, what happens there? What can you expect from that experience? How to make the most of it? Uh, and any other insights from your recent journey? Well, um, I think that, you know, those who are spiritual, those who do meditate, and those who want to meditate, um, a journey of a thousand steps starts with one. And you're going to start somewhere. You may start today. I started mine um, 10 years ago. Um, and it was literally taking steps. I was literally hiking in Woodstock. And at the, at the bottom of the mountain, there is a monastery. And what are the odds 
that um, you're hiking and you see this monastery. And we were curious and we went and was like, oh, I was a Tibetan monastery. And uh, during a difficult period in my life, um, I needed something to ground me. And I needed something to really understand and think through this adversity. And so that's when I started to get um, interested in Zazen, um, which is a, a Buddhist form of meditation. And that was the modality for a while. And I've tried others, um, but really that's the one I've kept coming back to. Um, but there's other things that I've um, you know looked at and just have come into my life serendipitously, Ram Das and, and others that have really um, took me on a journey into uh, uh, what ultimately this year has led to an ashram in, in India. And I would say um, there's no way I can prescribe or tell someone how to get to a specific ashram. All I can say is um, you need to believe in something, whatever you, you want to believe in, um, but fate will ultimately drive you in the right place if you do believe. And, you know, for me, um, I've always wanted to go to this ashram and it's been, um, you know, I, I probably should have done it 10 years ago. Actually, if I look back at my journey, when I was starting um, my first company, uh, I probably should have done it because the clarity, the transformation that you have um, at a place like an ashram is something that um really is um, a constitutional part of your DNA. It becomes part of it. So um, I I wanted to say that was my experience. And um, I'm just really lucky to have the opportunity to have gone there. Well, thank you for sharing that. Uh, and thank you so much for your insights across so many different topics. Uh, it was wonderful to have you on the show. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much for listening to the Village Global podcast. You can check us out online at villageglobal.vc. We'd love to hear from you, your feedback, your ideas, your inspirations. You can email us at hello at villageglobal.vc.